Just to pick up where we left off last time, I know it's been a while, it's been a few weeks now. So the last chapter was about salvation and how the Christian church, the message of salvation is different than the message of salvation in liberal churches. Okay. Uh, and in the liberal church, the problem with their message of salvation is that they are confusing the church with other worldly institutions. Now, this is why liberal churches eventually become like YMCA's, right? Kind of a social club. Um, and they obviously don't have the gospel. So the message is different. Okay. If you were in a broadly evangelical church today, the last chapter for you would have been salvation, right? But it's not. In fact, we have come to one of the most important chapters of the book, as the chapters of the book were not written in order of importance. Let's remember that. He didn't write this in order of importance. Each chapter holds, each chapter of the book holds its own importance for the Christian to understand and grasp. The last chapter here is on the church. And as one, uh, one uh, preacher has said, it's not the appendix to the book. It's not an afterthought. In his previous chapter on salvation, he was distinguishing between institutions towards the end of that chapter. If you don't remember, we should not confuse the institution of the church with other institutions. Okay, that is his point. He is not saying that the institutions of the world are all bad. He's not saying that. But he is saying we need to distinguish between the institution of the church, which delivers a message of salvation from sin, from the other institutions of the world that may be dealing with restraining sin. The institutions of the world do not remove sin. They can't, right? They can only restrain sin. You think of the state, for instance. They don't remove sin. They only restrain it, okay? While the church delivers a message of salvation, which delivers us from sin, knowing that Jesus Christ is the one who removes sin. So now he wants to speak about the most important institution in the world, the church. The church is the most important institution in the world. In his final chapter, uh, Machen begins with these words. It has just been observed that Christianity, as well as liberalism, is interested in social institutions. As I've said many times, for Machen, it's all about making distinctions. The Christian life and Christian theology is full of making distinctions. Uh, some people view making distinctions as compromise. You're compromising the faith when you make distinctions. But even the Bible teaches that there is a time and a place for everything. Do you believe the statement? Do you believe that there is a, a distinction between what we do on a Sunday in church and what we do the rest of the week at work or at home? Is there a difference? Of course there is. And so each institution has their roles. 
Uh, I believe Christians, especially uh, American evangelicals, often fail at this point of making distinctions. It becomes a theology of glory rather than a theology of the cross. They want glory now. They want the new heavens and the new earth to manifest itself now, yet they do not want to carry the cross. So they tend to blur the lines between church and state, church and society, or church and culture. But just like we, when we interpret scripture, we need to ask the question, what is the context? Context is key. And what is the role of said institution? What is the role of the church versus what is the role of the state or any other institution? You can imagine what was going through the minds of those who opposed Machen's critiques, both from liberals as well as conservatives. When Machen spoke out against liberalism and when he spoke out against having a patriotic worship service on a Sunday morning in church, they probably wondered if he was Amish or Anabaptist. But he answers that at the beginning of this chapter on the church. He said that Christianity, and I would add Christians, are concerned with every institution in secular society. And we should be. Schools, universities, government, etc. For the sake of loving neighbors. We should be because we're not isolationists. We're not monks. Because what we're lacking today are solidly reformed and Presbyterian institutions that will help build leaders for our nation and the church for tomorrow. But what Machen is arguing is don't ask the church to do what you are expected to do as individual Christians. Don't expect the church to do what you are expected to do. That's your job, not the church's. He is making a distinction between the church as an institution and Christians living in the world. The church as an institution has a limited and specific role. Limited, but much more powerful than what the eyes can see. It is simple and ordinary, as we spoke of this morning, consisting of the ordinary or ordained means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer. And to set that aside in order to answer or solve all of the world's problems is to set aside what our Lord has commissioned us to do as a church. It would be to neglect our responsibility as a church. So the Christian is concerned with institutions. But the greatest institution that is often ignored is the church. So in Machen's view and in our view, Christians ought to be concerned first and foremost with the church and church membership. See, going back again to making distinctions. Uh, Machen, if you don't remember, was a libertarian. And he was all about individual liberties and freedoms in society. He stood for all of what our founding fathers fought for in the Revolutionary War. He even believed that coming to church was voluntary. Men cannot force other men to go to church. That is a break away from uh, the Puritan mindset of uh, the 16th and 17th century. But for the Christian, 
Church is not an option. If you claim you're a Christian and you refuse to attend or become a member of a church by way of evidence, as far as we can see, you are not a Christian. And that should be a warning to you. You're deceiving yourself. I can't force you to go to church, but the Lord has joined you to his body. So joining a church is a visible expression of an invisible reality. You will join a church because the love of Christ dwelling within you compels you to. If you don't, there's question on whether or not you have the love of Christ dwelling within you. I've seen this as a fault in many evangelistic endeavors. Uh, Some are only satisfied with preaching the word, whether in open air settings or handing out gospel tracts, but seldom think of what's next. What happens after so-and-so is saved after he reads the gospel tract? If you're going to do open air preaching, make sure they know where to go to find some solid biblical teaching to build them up in their faith. Or if you hand out gospel tracts, make sure there is a website or an address to a church on the track. Because we're not saved to remain to ourselves. We're saved to join a body of believers. Salvation is individual, but the Christian life is not. Unless, of course, there's something to hide or you want to remain autonomous. There is an underlying pride or selfishness that needs to be called out in our day. Now, this is where American culture can sometimes be a hindrance to the gospel. We think Christianity is individualistic because we are saved individually as if that's all that there is. But Christianity is not entirely individualistic. Hence why Machen wrote this chapter. So Machen, in our second point here, calls the church a true brotherhood. Liberalism teaches that there is a brotherhood of all mankind, which is true as far as it goes. We are all brothers in the sense that we all all have the same creator. We are all of the same flesh and blood. And we all have the same nature of Adam. But there is a much more intimate relationship that Christians share apart from the rest of the world. And this is Christian brotherhood. The brotherhood of the redeemed. It is true that God is the father of all as he is the creator of all. But as Jesus taught us, there is a more intimate relationship that we share with God when we receive Jesus. As John says to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And there is nothing narrow about this doctrine, he says. Because we want all people to come into this brotherhood. So we're not trying to isolate ourselves from society or 
become like Pharisees who prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. In this brotherhood, our desire is to call all men to come to know the Savior of our souls. We can't just settle for binding up wounds or giving a helping hand to our neighbors, though we do that as well. But the most important way to love our neighbors is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. That is what makes us different from liberal churches. Because what we are looking for is not just a transformation of secular society and institutions under the influence of the golden rule. We are looking for true transformation. And this true transformation exists in this world. So he begins to speak about how we come to true transformation of society. That's our third point. When he says a transformation of society, he is talking about the transformation of a collection of people, uh, a transformed mankind, uh, not the various vocations or callings in society. He's not talking about transforming sports or politics, science, etc. He says that both the liberal and the Christian believes that there is to be a transformation of society or mankind. We're not only concerned with the transformation or salvation of individual souls. There is to be a group, a society of truly transformed individuals. And there is a society. Again, a collection of people who have been saved. This society society exists, and this society is found in the church. The church is where you find true transformation. The church is the highest Christian answer to the social needs of man. Don't look to the wrong places to find true transformation. Don't look to the state nor to the various institutions to find true transformation. In this world, you'll only find it in the church. This is what he is arguing here. Uh, I've mentioned this before in a previous lecture. But in liberalism, the church is just a means to an end, whether to transform society or the world, rather than an end in itself. The church for the liberal is just a tool to be used, okay? Once we reach a certain end, now we can put that tool back in the toolbox. Or we can remain content with how the world is, right? Have Christians have done this for decades. They were contented with what, how they shaped the world. They kind of laid back. But that's not what the church is for. For Machen, the church is the end. It's not a means to get to an end. It is the end. It is the goal. It is the respite of our souls every week. The best day of the week is which day? Sunday, when we gather for worship. This is the end. It's not what's going on in the world. 
That's going to perish very soon. This is the end. The church is not here to transform society. The church is the transformed society. Now, when the Christian goes forth during the week, does he have an impact on society out there? Of course he does. By way of natural effect. Not by way of duty, but by way of natural effect. We shine as lights in the world. But our goal, our end, is not the world. It's here in the church. There lies the difference between the Christian and the liberal. The liberal's end is the world, is everything out there, is to bring the kingdom here and make the kingdom manifest in the world. And they ignore the church. The church is the end, not the world. We have seen this throughout the centuries. Our impact on the world has always been limited and always has an expiration date. And then we start all over again. You ever notice that? All the cultures in the dumps. It's always been in the dumps. We just isolate ourselves. We try to ignore it. But, it, but it's always been bad. At some level. There's always been human depravity. The Christian has always been an exile. The Christian has always been a pilgrim in this world. We have never felt at home. If you have felt at home in this world, there's questions there that need to be raised. What are you looking forward to? There were many great accomplishments by Christians throughout the centuries, but there also have been many mistakes made by those same Christians that we would be wrong to not acknowledge. Sin has always pervaded every attempt to transform the world. Sin has pervaded every attempt to transform the world by Christians. So this is the next question he asks. Is the church perfect? No. In this world, the church is not perfect. So guess what? You're not going to get perfection whether in society or in the church. But this is as close to it as you'll get, is the church. This is as close to heaven as you'll get in this world. It's in the church. But the church is not perfect. There's the invisible church and the visible church. The invisible church is made up of all true believers, while the visible church is made up of believers and non-believers alike. The church is mixed, and even believers are not yet perfect, as we heard this morning in the sermon. But the problem for Machen arises when unbelievers make a false profession of faith. Then they are later admitted into the ministry of the church. They become teachers. This is where the problem was in Machen's day. So they don't really believe what we believe. But since they have a heart for the ministry, they are given the responsibility of teaching. Uh, like I have been saying in the sermons on Galatians, false teaching tends to rise from within the church, not from without it. Liberalism began within the church. The early liberals were people 
who read their Bibles. You'll see them in public with their Bible under their arms. They read their Bibles. They went to church every Sunday. And they knew it. They knew their Bibles word for word. They seemed to be very pious in their lifestyle. But they twist the scriptures to their own destruction, as Peter says. They didn't really believe what was written. Though they can quote it, they had it all memorized. They didn't believe it. See, as I said this morning, it's not enough to say, read the Bible. Because you can read the Bible and come to very wrong conclusions. Many people in this world read the Bible minus the Spirit and minus the gathering of the saints. Okay? And that's a problem. This is why you need the church. And this is what he is arguing here. This is why we stand in a tradition of interpretation and doctrine. Liberalism, in our fourth point, so he concludes again, liberalism is not Christianity, so we can't unite with uh, liberal teachers. Now, Machen is not trying to judge souls here. But the question is whether or not liberalism is Christian at all. He says, no, it's not. It's not. So liberalism and Christianity cannot coexist in the same organization. We have two completely different messages. According to Machen, the crying need of the hour, his hour at that time, is the separation of Christian Christianity and liberalism in the church. Many would oppose this because they want to promote unity and they refuse to split over trifling matters, right? Trifling matters, things that are not that important. To the liberal, these trifling matters would include the cross of Christ and what Christ accomplished on that cross. But if you get rid of the cross of Christ, you get rid of Christianity altogether. You no longer have Christianity if you get rid of the cross. It is quite surprising that Machen then calls the liberal narrow-minded here. He calls him narrow-minded. He says that it is narrow-minded to say that we should all stay united without caring to know the other man's position, what he believes, what's his point of view, uh, that is like the Protestant trying to unite with the Roman Catholic. Though there is sharp disagreement on the role of the church. Uh, for instance, we believe that the church is the ordinary or ordained means that God uses to save people. Right? But Rome teaches there is no salvation outside the church. Those are two different things. Those are two different things. There are extraordinary means that God uses to save people outside the church. Rome says no. So how can we unite with that teaching? It's very different. Yet to overlook that and say, that's just a trifling matter. Let's just unite. Is to have our heads in the clouds. We can't unite. This is what he calls narrow-mindedness. The Christian has the obligation to intellectual integrity, which means you are to know the other person's position before you say 
oh, that's just a trifling matter. Let's just unite because what is important is church unity. That's very dishonest. The Christian is to think differently about doctrinal purity in the church. We are not to consider doctrinal differences as quote-unquote trifles, unimportant matters. You can't be a Christian and regard the cross of Christ as a trifle, right? As unimportant. The cross of Christ is the source of your Christian life. At this point, I believe he is addressing the moderate Christian as well as the liberal. He clarifies that it is not narrow to just outright reject the cross of Christ. That's not being narrow. But if you accept the doctrine, you accept it, you say, it's good for me. But at the same time say, it's a trifling matter. That is what he calls narrow and very absurd. How can you accept the cross of Christ, but for the Christian next to you say, don't worry about it, no big deal. You don't have to really believe that. Just believe in Jesus. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about the cross. So it's good for you, but not for everybody else. That's absurd, he says. And it is very dishonest. For the Christian, honesty is one of the weightier matters of the law that Jesus warned us about. Honesty. We need to be honest with ourselves and what we truly believe. The old saying, no creed but Christ or no creed but the Bible, in Machen's view, can be attributed to the liberal. Though it is often said and still often said by many conservatives today, no creed but the Bible. Here Machen says that every church has a creed that they follow even when they claim they don't. You can't get away with saying no creed but the Bible. If you live by that, why come to church? You should just sit at home and read your Bible. Why listen to, listen to preaching? Why listen to preachers? If there is no creed but the Bible or no creed but Christ, then what is the point of coming to church or to listen to some guy teach the Bible? If we ever come across someone who says this or speaks in this way, I would ask that person, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible teach? If there's no creed but the Bible, tell me, what does the Bible teach? As soon as you formulate your own words to explain what the Bible teaches, there is your creed. You have a creed. You can't get away with saying no creed but the Bible. It, but it's amazing how in Machen's day, it was the liberal saying this. It was the liberal or the moderate that was saying this. And then they cut up the Bible into many pieces and use it for whatever they want. Christianity has always had a creed or confession attached to her in order to combat false teaching. Instead of quoting every verse in the Bible that teaches a certain doctrine, we have formulated succinct statements that teach a specific doctrine of the Bible with scriptural proof texts to support those doctrines. They are teaching tools. If they are wrong at any point, they should be corrected. And they have been corrected. 
Think of our confession. Uh, if you've ever noticed, our confession is not strictly Westminster Confession of Faith. Have you ever noticed that? It's actually the confession and catechisms of the OPC because they have been changed from the original. We subscribe to the 1789 confession, not the 1647 confession. And I believe the Presbyterians of the 1700s got it right where the guys in the 1600s got it wrong, specifically chapter 23. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have sought ordination in the OPC. This was the problem that Machen is addressing in this chapter. Dishonesty was the problem. You had ministers taking vows, being ordained, and subscribing to the confession of faith of, at that time, it was in the Peace USA, when they didn't really believe nor care about the doctrinal documents and what they taught. They just wanted their foot in the door, right? This was the major problem. And believe it or not, if you walk through the halls of seminary, you hear similar conversations. I'm just trying to get my foot in the door. I'll say whatever they want me to say, but then there's going to be change. I'm going to change things. That is very dangerous and scary for the church. That's prideful. And I can see why Machen would say we need to separate from them. He says that they would conclude these doctrines are all trifling matters. What matters is love and unity. That sounds very pious. That sounds very loving, like Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Again, this is to rip 1 Corinthians 13 out of its context. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, is situated in Paul's doctrinal defense of what goes on in the church. He talks about both unimportant and important doctrines in that dispute. He talks about uh, head covering for women. Head covering for women, not as important as the Lord's Supper. Right? He talks about church unity right after, right after that, right after church unity, he expounds on the resurrection of Christ and how without the resurrection, we are most to be pitied and our faith is in vain. So to use the love chapter to say that doctrine is not important, what's important is love and unity, is very wrong. Very wrong. There were ministers taking ordination vows who did not believe in the resurrection of Christ. And if they cite 1 Corinthians 13, you would have to cite 1 Corinthians 15 to correct their view of 1 Corinthians 13. So Machen says, there must be a separation between the Christian and the liberal in the church. 1 Corinthians 13 is a bad text to go to, to try to support the agenda of the liberal. Now, to clarify, he is speaking specifically of Christian ministers here. <clears throat> Those who bore the responsibility of teaching. He was not necessarily speaking of liberal lay members or attendees. He was not speaking uh, of the lay member who was struggling with severe doubts. Everyone battles with doubting. 
Everyone battles with doubt, doubting their faith at times. Machen says, for great hosts of such troubled souls, the church offers bountifully its fellowship and its aid. It would be a crime to cast them out. We're not here to police everyone's thoughts and struggles. The church is a place of respite for the soul, especially the doubting soul who needs his faith to be confirmed and strengthened. These are troubling times for a lot of people. And we recognize that. And those people need the church. May the church be the place where they find comfort and rest from their weary lives. So this is not about separating from men of little faith. Okay? We shouldn't separate ourselves from them. But this is about separating from those who are in ministerial positions, teaching positions, who desire not to learn, but to teach. These are not men who say, I believe, help my unbelief. But these are proud men who strut their stuff, who want to show off their knowledge of this world. They want to teach what is contrary to our confession of faith and God's word. Again, this is what we see in Paul's letter to the Galatians. See, what you believe is integral to your ministerial vows. To be admitted as a minister, we need to know what you believe and whether or not you really believe it. If a man can subscribe to our standards in the OPC, he can be a minister in the OPC. If he can't subscribe, then he can't be a minister in the OPC. It's simple. It's a simple process. It's just like any other uh, employment that we uh, seek to be hired in. We live in a society where we value uh, freedom of religion, and there are various denominations even in this one little town, right? You can easily join up with another church that shares a similar conviction and teach there. But because of pride, the liberal says to himself, I am going to be a source of change for this denomination. As I've said just now, a little while ago, whenever you approach ministry in this way, I suggest you stop and reconsider the ministry. Reconsider your calling. That is not what you're here for. Ministers are stewards of the new covenant. Ministers of reconciliation between God and man based upon special revelation, the Holy Bible. If you have another vision of gospel ministry outside of the bounds of the ordinary means of grace, word, sacrament, and prayer, then it is not gospel ministry. It's something else altogether. This is what he is telling these ministers in the liberal church. And the only honest option for the liberal is not to dig their heels in the dirt and fight to change the Christian's mind, but it is to go somewhere else. Unfortunately, that is not how it played out in the Peace USA. The moderates sided with the liberals and drove the conservatives out. For Machen, 
The liberal could have found an, an existing body to unite to or establish a new body to suit his teaching. This has van, advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the disadvantages would mean abandoning church buildings, breaking family traditions, maybe even breaking with family, and letting go of certain sentimental memories. But the great advantage to separating from a Christian church is honesty. It's honesty. If you don't believe what this church believes, isn't it liberating to go somewhere else? I, I remember when I was in a broadly uh, evangelical church uh, prior to seminary, and uh, that church was going through many problems and uh, going toward a more liberal, uh, more church growth movement type of thing. And when we moved, uh, to Pennsylvania, to Philadelphia area, and we started going to an OPC church, how liberating it was to be in a church that actually preaches the gospel. To be in a church where you're actually being built up when you go to church, not being torn down. It's liberating when you're in line with what the church believes. Now, there will be warnings. We're not saying, oh, just get out of here. There will be warnings coming from the session. There will be calls to repent and believe the gospel. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe Christian doctrine, why do you become a minister in the church? Is there an ulterior motive? Machen says that honesty in this case is the best policy. In, in simple parlance, Go somewhere else. You have that freedom to do so. The liberal, by going to another church and seeking to teach there, they're taking away the burden and sacrifice of trying to change everyone's mind on the session in order to preach your liberal theology. At this time, I guess Machen couldn't see what was about to take place as the reverse would happen. Conservatives would end up being pushed out and leave the liberal-leaning denomination. But he says that conservatives had to be prepared to withdraw in the most dire situation that liberalism was being preached and taught in the pulpits. And so they did. And this led to the founding of the OPC, or the first PCA before we got sued. Uh, I wonder what, why the second PCA didn't get sued, but I'll... I'll leave it to their historians to explain. But this is where we find ourselves now. And uh, Machen has been the uh, figure that has shaped the way we think about the church and about society. And what are our priorities in the Christian life? 